Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Radio Imbibe from Imbibe Magazine. I'm Paul Clark, the executive editor of Imbibe, and we've had Scotch whiskey on our minds a lot recently. We've got Scotch on the cover of our current issue, and if you've checked out recent episodes of this podcast, then you've heard me chat with Dr. Rachel Berry, Becky Paskin, and Cameron George, three of the individuals with whom I spoke while preparing the feature on Scotch whiskey in our March-April issue. In these conversations, we've talked about issues relating to the production and marketing and culture of Scotch whiskey, but for this round, we want to talk about drinking Scotch whiskey and Scotch whiskey cocktails. To do that, we're checking in with Tommy Kluse and Aaron Ziski, the owner and bar manager, respectively, of Scotch Lodge in Portland, Oregon. We've got a recipe for a Scotch Lodge cocktail, the Isla Daiquiri, in our March-April issue and up on our website. So listen in on this conversation with the folks at Scotch Lodge, then go take one of their cocktails for a spin. We have a package feature on Scotch whiskey. Looking through the category, both in terms of its history as well as the way it's evolved and how it's manifest today. And Tommy, we spoke with you for that issue, and I wanted to revisit some of that conversation with both of you because, well, you put the word Scotch right in the name of your bar, Scotch Lodge. Uh, and when you decided to open a whiskey-focused bar with Scotch this clear to its identity, what kinds of questions and reactions were you expecting to get from people? I don't know that we had expectation. I mean, we, we did want to throw out that flag, so to speak, you know, to try and capture the, the people that might be interested in, in Scotch whiskey as a category. So it, it kind of was intentional to put it in the name. If we had gone with something else, there were other names uh, being kicked around, but they didn't really have anything to do with whiskey or the category. So we thought to, as we're getting started, it might be the best to just put that foot first so to speak. And, you know, Scotch could be something that a lot of people think they're already familiar with. It's been around forever. It's not necessarily new on the U.S. scene, like, you know, something like Mezcal or Claren or, or these spirits that kind of, you know, come along like wildfire. What kinds of questions or misconceptions do you still come across when talking about Scotch whiskey with people? You know, because we, we're also a restaurant, too, and, and a cocktail bar. So, you know, we haven't put all of our eggs in the same basket, but we do lean towards Scotch whiskey that does kind of dominate the back bar. Um, but we try to hit on all levels, you know, where we do, we like rum and tequila and mezcal and bourbon, you know, we have a lot of American whiskeys too. So we do try and um, cater to the broader audience. And so that does, you know, put us in a position where we are having those conversations. Maybe they're getting into it for the first time, or, you know, I hear a lot that, oh, I don't like smoky. And, and that I'd say that's probably one of the, the biggest misconceptions that we come up against is that thought that all whiskeys are going to be kind of like Laphroaig, at least, the, you know, in terms of scotch. I had Laphroaig once and it was just not for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, people will come in and they'll ask, they say, oh, well, this is Scotch Lodge. Do you guys have anything else here? Scotch Lodge with scotch in the name starts the conversation and we say that, yes, we, we're actually a whiskey bar. We have a huge list of American whiskeys. We have tequila. We love rum. And so that starts the conversation and allows us to kind of direct our guests through our offerings, which I think is a, a nice way to start the engagement. But I mean, like Tommy was saying, it's interesting when people have this preconception of scotch as, you know, something smoky or something hard to palate, you know, that also starts the conversation and you're like, well, is it the smoke you don't like, or is it peat you don't like, or is it actually just a whiskey made with 100% 
barley that you're not familiar with, right? Because there's scotches that have no smoke per se or no peat per se that taste like scotch because they're made out of barley in the terroir that they're produced. It's fun getting to be able to get through some of that nomenclature and some of those uh, new terms and uh, kind of flavor profiles that people are not familiar with, but excited about trying. And, you know, scotch is one of those things where, you know, the people who are who are into it to some kind of degree, they speak the language, uh, as it were, and they understand, you know, some of the some of the diversity of styles and everything. But for people who are just getting into it or are thinking, you know, that all scotch is smoky or something like that, there's still aspects that confuse a lot of people, you know, like blended scotch versus blended malt, for example. Uh, and the, then there's the whole idea of grain whiskey. Where does that even come in? You know, people aren't really exposed to that notion when it comes to scotch that often. What kinds of opportunities do these give you to help walk people through the world of scotch whiskey more and kind of show them this tremendous diversity of style. I think the same reasons, you know, that when I was getting into it, it's, it's overwhelming, right? And and there's a lot of different category placements within the your subcategories, right? You have single malt, blended malt, um, blends, as you were saying, and, and then you have all the brands and then you have Gaelic pronunciations on top of it, um, location differences and stylistic variants between distillers, labels, global marketing, all these influencing factors that, you know, are meant to guide the consumer, but also it can just confuse the crap out of someone. Right. And <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't, I guess as a bartender, I was very curious and fascinated because it was something I wanted to, to explore something I was starting to, to like and, uh, but also felt overwhelmed at, uh, by it at the same time. So it was really just, how, where do you start? And when you have someone come in, uh, a guest come in and, you know, we're hospitality focused and we like the dialogue. We'd like to talk to people about the whiskeys they're drinking or the whiskeys they've had. And, and so that, that does create that kind of opportunity to start, pick a place to start, you know, and, and rather than try and understand the whole category at once, you, you, know, you, you could break it down and easier to swallow doses. Right. And it's just, it's just the same. It's like if, if somebody comes in and, you know, doesn't know anything, but you can ask them about what other whiskeys they like, even if it's an American whiskey and you can start guiding them down that direction, or if they like Canadian or if they like Irish, there's, there's a way to segue into all the different regions. And that's, that's, it's an opportunity for us and a way to, you know, create new guests. And similarly, you know, the world of scotch is not static. It's not something that was created 150 years ago and hasn't really changed since. Especially when we look at the world of scotch whiskey today, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of dynamics uh, taking place among, you know, new distilleries coming online or old distilleries that had been offline for a number of years reopening. Uh, you have brands looking at approaching this kind of new audience coming in. What kinds of things are going on in the whiskey world right now that keep you enthusiastic and captivated about the spirit and the category? I mean, some of the cask finishes are starting to get a little bit outrageous and it's exciting, right? I mean, obviously, you know, aging for scotch has taken the form with, with sherry for, for ages, right? But now we're seeing, for example, we have, you know, a Kavlan bottle on the shelf that's aged in Amontillado sherry cask, which is, you know, very unique. Um, you're seeing wine finished casks, you know, red wine, sauterne cask. And it's it's something that people like to see, even in, you know, the bourbon world, people like to see different ways that they can be finished and aged. And I, I feel like that is something that's changing. I feel like a lot of the a lot of the artwork and the packaging has changed so that it might draw in new audiences, something fun, a little quirky or a little silly. And that is like allowing more people to be engaged in a product that they wouldn't have even thought about before. So that's really fun. Yeah, I agree. I, I like seeing all the, the cast finishes and that does 
you, you know, you've talked about misconceptions and um, we haven't really talked price points, but age was something that was so factored into it, you know, with the, with the kind of the benchmark age releases. And now you're, you're seeing, you know, I think even 10, 12 years ago, Brooke Lottie made such an impact uh, on me with their, you know, they had something like 130 expressions within their first few years of, you know, once they, their whiskey was of age. But while they were doing that, the old stocks, you know, they would take Chateau Ochem and, and finish, you know, old stock uh, Brooke Lottie and just, these were amazing things that I hadn't really seen before. And it became less about age, right? And more about the, I, I think somebody, I don't know who coined it, but ACED, right? And it's, I think it's additional cask enhancement or cask enhanced, right? And yeah, this take like the Kavalon that Aaron mentioned, they, that's something that proves that uh, misconception that it has to be aged a long time to be good, right? That one's aged five years, but they take a, a very fresh, Amontillado sherry cask that just gives so much life to that whiskey and it aged five years, but the, the complexity and flavor profile, it's insane. And, you know, we have these institutions in the Scotch whiskey world, you know, the, the major labels, the major distilleries, the big companies that, that do the blends. But within this universe, there's also the independent bottlers and blenders and folks like uh, John Glazer from Compass Box, who are really kind of pushing the envelope in ways that 20 years ago, you just weren't seeing in the whiskey category. And they're kind of keeping this alive. Are there other examples of, you know, whether it's uh, independent bottlers coming along or of new distilleries that have been opening that have really kind of excited you or that are, give you something to to talk about and really engage your guests on? I, I, I mean, there, there's a lot to be excited about. Even even distilleries that have been around for a while are still, you know, I, I don't like Glen Morangy, right? They, they did, um, they're playing around with yeast and they're not the only ones. I think that's something that I'm excited to see more of. And as these new startup distilleries, they don't have that global demand. And, you know, I, I don't know that McAllen's going to experiment with wild yeast publicly they might do it behind the scenes but because they're so established and have such a regal reputation right but when you're smaller and starting out i think you're you're able to play and experiment a little bit more so and and playing with wild yeast which is what that glen morangy product they did um the thompson brothers and dornick i know they're using spent brewers yeast and have not used any distillers yeast so that, that's that's something that's still, I think, being explored. And when you have, you know, just three ingredients and, and yeast was something that wasn't really, you know, it was it was meant to be efficient uh, and give you good flavor. But I, I don't think it was something people took a lot of interest in. Now, obviously, cocktails are a key part of what you do uh, and, and the way that a lot of people first encounter a lot of spirits these days. When we're talking about scotch, there's a relatively small but much loved core of classic whiskey cocktails. But when you look at what you want to do at Scotch Lodge, what kinds of styles or directions seem inviting for you to explore when working with scotch whiskey in a cocktail context? When we first opened, I mean, it's a playground, right, of spirits. And, and I don't know, I was just thinking as a bartender throughout my career, it was like my boss didn't always want me to, to mix with the most expensive things because we had to create cocktails that didn't, you know, scare our, our, our guests away. If we're putting $20 drinks on the menu and, and we've only been doing like 8 or $10 cocktails, that can be a little bit of a shock. So, yeah, I, I don't think we were able to really play with the Lagavulin 16 or, you know, create these really high-end cocktails. 
So I, yeah, with fast forward to Scotch Lodge, I don't know, you just think of all the possibilities and the potential. And if you're able to create regulars within it that know you're going to preserve the integrity of that whiskey without, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make just because it's an expensive whiskey doesn't mean it's going to make a good cocktail. And if I throw in too many ingredients, then it, it, I could just lose them, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, what's nice is people are coming in here with an open mind. People are coming in here to either enjoy or at the very least experiment with scotch. And that gives us, you know, a plethora of options. And I, I, I see a range from at least, let's say we're trying to develop a cocktail where we are, you know, wanting, wanting to highlight the flavors of a specific scotch. And so, you know, that scotch will shine. There's another way where we can do it, where we can kind of sneak in a bit of scotch in a way that you're not expecting. So you might drink this drink and you're like, wow, this is delicious. And I can't believe there's scotch in here, right? That's another direction. That's, that's pretty fun for people, especially those who are a little bit unfamiliar or just, you know, trying to dip their toes in. And then we can get esoteric as well and really drive home a, you know, a smoky note or a really expressive scotch and see if that's something that people can get into. And there's just such a broad range in this category that that's what really excites me. And scotch has this kind of aura about it that's kind of serious and intense, but it works really well sometimes in cocktails that are more fun. You know, I'm thinking of like tropical directions, like like the Isla Daiquiri that you guys have that we ran in the magazine, uh, or in classics like the Cameron's Kick, you know, with, with lemon juice and orgeat and, and Irish whiskey. They just seem, you know, way more fun than you expected from a scotch whiskey cocktail. Are there other directions that you or the bar staff have been enjoying lately or like flavor combinations or ingredient combinations that when you're thinking about scotch whiskey, you're like, that, that one really works. The Sam Ross cocktail, right? The penicillin, the, I think it did change that perception. That's such a fun one. Citrus with a little bit of peat, you know, and some ginger and honey. That cocktail does so well. It's still, uh, we, we make it all the time. Um, the scotch tropical side, like the scotch tiki is a lot of fun. And when you're getting into different whiskeys and, and different cask finishes, you're, you're finding these flavor profiles that, that just work really, really well. The Isla Daiquiri, just like a scotch lime with a little bit of sugar, you know, we, we definitely tweak it and add in other things with some pineapple rum and, you know, coconut oolong. And so, yeah, I, I like those flavor profiles, but I like to go classic too. And just, you know, a Rob Roy with with a heavily peated whiskey is really cool. And back, I think when we were a little bit more conscious of uh, the spirits that were on our back bar and, and the price points, we maybe would have been using a blended scotch to make that and it wouldn't right. have hit in the same way. It would have been good. But there's something really fun about using these big, bold flavors towards cocktails. You know, on that note, that's a direction to go when, when thinking of, um, you know, Tiki has been a fun thing that's, kind of been a, a wild category when you think of scotch cocktails but i also like to accentuate the notes that are in the scotch that you're drinking you know so when i think of a space side scotch i'm thinking sherry and like why not mix you know your scotch with sherry and bring that out and really like hit a home run with that so you're thinking some kind of an oloroso note um or any kind of a liqueur that has a nutty aspect and those are things like in sipping drinks or just in you know minute amounts in, in a old fashioned or something like that that can really accentuate the flavors of the scotch and and not take away from it you know what i mean we've had a lot of fun with old fashions for that reason right because you're you're able to take that you know if you are exploring different whiskeys you can just add a little bit of sugar and some bitters and still maintain you know that flavor profile and just bring it bring certain notes out to the forefront and, you know, we make a lot of well, that's that's probably what we make the most of 
at Scotch Lodge or Old Fashions. Well, Tommy and Aaron, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. I really appreciate you guys taking time out of, your, out of your day to do this. And I'm looking forward to getting back to Portland at some point, sometime, and finally having an opportunity to uh, to visit your bar. Well, thank you. Can we put you on the spot? For <laughs> sure, yeah. What was your uh, what was your favorite? What was the whiskey that? Yeah, what was the aha moment for you? Yeah, for Scotch, was there is there a favorite? Was were you turned off by any? Did it was it gradual? You know, it, it, that's funny. So it had been kind of a gradual thing, but then you know, Aaron, you were talking earlier about cask finishes and how sometimes that can be an eye opener for people. I remember years ago I was at uh, Whiskey Fest in San Francisco and going around and you know tasting a bunch of things. And one of the tables uh, had, uh, it was an independent bottler. I think, I, I can't remember if it was Murray McDavid or one of the other bottlers, but they had a Lefroy, a 10-year Lefroy that had been finished in Chateau Margaux casks. And I remember like tasting that and just, you know, the, like like the Jesus light came down. Uh, it was like, oh my God, you know, I thought I knew Lefroy, uh, but like tasting it in this context with, you know, with this big red wine base to it, uh, just rounding it out, you know, it made it into something totally different. And I, you know, that that that's kind of the, the mental whiskey that I keep going back to over the years of, you know, on occasion you'll try something, you'll try whiskey or try a rum or some other kind of spirit and you'll just have that flavor moment where you see the world in a different way after having tasted that. And so that that one bottle of Lefroy finished in Chateau Margaux casks, that was the whiskey that uh, that kind of hooked me and kept me coming back. Did you track it down and get a bottle? No, this was, you know, this was years ago and, you know, I was tasting like a hundred uh, things that night. And, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. now, now, exactly. now you're just chasing the, now you're just chasing the dragon, Paul. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what it is, right? You find the one and then you just, it's like all the others, you know, along the way that you're trying to find, get back to that one. Right. Right. Exactly. Very exactly. Cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking your time to do this. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, to seeing you in Portland at some point. Hopefully we can all travel soon and, and catch up. Yeah, it's nice to see you. Thank you for your interest and, and support, Paul. It means a lot to us. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. Appreciate it. out their info at scotchlodge.com. And if you're in Portland at some point, be sure to swing by and take the menu for a test drive. And I looked up that bottle after Tommy and Aaron asked me about it. It's a Murray McDavid bottling of 1999 Lefroy 10-year-old, finished in Chateau Margaux casks. It looks like it hasn't been available in quite some time, but if you're hanging on to a bottle of it, then I'd love to come hang out sometime and get a taste of it again. And that's it for this round. You should check out our website at imbibemagazine.com for plenty more recipes and articles. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, so you can follow us on social media. Be sure to subscribe to Radio Imbibe on your favorite podcast platform. Starting with our next episode, we're heading into our May-June issue. And you're going to want to check out that new issue yourself. If you're not already a subscriber to the print and or digital issues of Imbibe, then just click on the link in this episode's notes and we can help you change that. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. We'll catch you next time.